Our Bible passage is taken from Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 18, verses 9 to 14. To some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everyone, Jesus told these parables. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by, the, by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like the tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to the heaven, but beat his chest and said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. May the Lord bless you. Was is reading for the salvation of our soul. Please be seated. My wife's going to give me a hard time after the service if I do not ask you to now rise and greet one another. <laughs> so would you please do so? So after that, we hope that all of you feel very welcome here. Remember our motto, we may not always remember your name, but we're always glad you came. <laughs> so let's pray. Father, thank you for this wonderful service we've had, uh, this the chance to worship you, the chance to pray for the needs that affect us deeply, and the chance to open your word and to listen to what you have to share with us. Thank you for what you've taught me through this passage this week. 
I pray that you'd help me to uh, explain it to, in a clear and practical way. So we look forward to your word and what impact it can make on our lives today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a series of jokes that begin with the familiar words, three men go into a bar, a rabbi, a priest, and some unsavory character. Well, in this parable, it's not a bar. Two men go into the temple, a rabbi and an unsavory character. There was no priest because Catholicism had not yet been invented. But as usual, this parable was told because some of his audience needed a radical attitude adjustment. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Last week we talked about the the fact that when you're part of the 99 righteous, it's easy to develop an attitude of superiority. Like these people who are confident of their own righteousness. And through much effort and discipline, they had matriculated from beginner to advanced levels of righteousness. And that's what religion promotes, ways we can upgrade our moral status. But the Bible calls that an exercise in futility, because even our personal best does not measure up. We need a righteousness far, far beyond our own. So to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. And so the Pharisee was a regular. In fact, he was probably a platinum member, one of the elite, one of the elect. And he was there for his weekly performance review. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like all other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get. So not only was he named the tither of the month, he was also on the short list for the fasting hall of fame. It had been a very good week. I fast twice this week and I gave a tenth of all I got. So how do you like me now? Well, God must have been impressed. Or was he? The Pharisee stood up and prayed, God, you are holy and righteous, merciful and loving. You provide our daily bread. You forgive our sins. We are unworthy of your goodness. That's what he should have prayed. Instead, it says, he prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men. He was the subject of his own prayer. It was all about him. The Pharisee was reminding God that he was better than other men. And notice it says all other men. So after spending hundreds of hours comparing himself with other people, he now could declare that he was the undisputed, undefeated heavyweight champion of holiness. So this is him. This is the guy. He's number one. Muhammad Ali, Wayne Gretzky, Michael Jordan, Roger Federer, 
Tom Brady, the greatest of all time. This Pharisee was more righteous than all other men. So if anybody could impress God, this was the man. Of course, these results are unofficial, but he makes a strong case. And he especially looks good in contrast to those around him, like the tax collector. What is he doing there? He wasn't a regular. In fact, this, his kind was often banned from the synagogues. How did he get past the bouncer? But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. A rabbi and a tax collector go into a temple to pray. Oh, there was no more unsavory character in that society. I mean, you had robbers, you had evildoers, you had adulterers, and then you had tax collectors. They were the worst of all, way down at the bottom. Because they were traitors. They were backslidden Jews hired by the Romans to collect taxes for Caesar, which was an abomination to the chosen people. And they were given a quota. You have to collect this much money from this area, and anything you collect over and above is your personal profit. So they had a license to steal. They could tax anyone at any time. Imagine if you had to pay for a spot in our parking lot this morning. And then you had to tip the greeters at the door. And then you had to pay for your seat unless you reserved it on Ticketmaster. It'll cost you extra if you want to sit in the splash zone over here. And if you leave in the middle of the sermon, there's a surcharge. It's like the Beatles song, Taxman. If you drive a car, I'll tax the street. If you try to sit, I'll tax your seat. If you, if you get too cold, I'll tax the heat. If you take a walk, I'll tax your feet. There's one for you, 19 for me. In Israel, the tax collectors got richer and richer while their victims got poorer. These men were parasites. Everyone hated the tax collectors. And so here in this temple, you have the ultimate contrast. The Pharisee, who is the best example of what religion can produce, and this publican, the worst specimen of reprobate humanity. Who would you rather invite home for lunch? Who would you rather have as a friend on Facebook? Would you let a tax collector borrow your car or date your daughter? A sinner like that has no business in the temple. So what was he up to? Is he going to audit the Almighty? Call security. That tax collector has no business being in the temple. But that's precisely why he was there, to conduct some business. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. For whatever reason, this tax collector had done an audit on his own soul and discovered that he was bankrupt and he wasn't hoping that God would somehow restructure his debt. He was appealing for mercy. He was asking God to cancel his debt entirely. Huh, he's got some nerve. Well, good luck with that. You don't deserve 
any mercy. You have no spiritual equity, no credit rating in the kingdom of God. You're a hopeless sinner. And for you, the next stop is judgment day. And that's when Jesus said something that sent shockwaves through the audience. After all the variables had been calculated, here's the judge's score. But I tell you that this man, the tax collector, rather than the other, the Pharisee, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. The tax collector went home justified. Are you serious? Can you believe that? Justified, declared blameless, everything that went wrong has been made right. The tax collector was justified, not the Pharisee. What a shock. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. I wonder if we've learned that lesson yet. I still have trouble with it. Here is God turning away from this swollen religious windbag because from his perspective, there are evildoers and there are robbers and there are adulterers and then way down there are the self-righteous. That's how God sees things. Pride is the worst sin. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13, I hate pride and arrogance. I hate it. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction. Proverbs 29, 23, a man's pride brings him low. This Pharisee thought that his one-man show must have been sold out in heaven that the angels were breaking attendance records to hear him recite his merits. He thought he'd gone viral. But he was blinded by the spotlight of his superior attitude, so he didn't realize that his performance had fizzled and the theater was empty. He got absolutely no likes in eternity. Meanwhile, in heaven, the tax collector's repentance was bigger than Avatar or the Avengers. The lost sheep was finally found. Luke chapter 15, verse 7, I tell you, there is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. You know, we can do a lot to make God very, very happy. But a sinner has an opportunity to make God even happier when they repent. There's nothing that compares to the joy that heaven experiences when that happens. This tax collector got a standing ovation. I tell you, this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. The Pharisee had come into that temple feeling pretty good about himself, and he left the same way. The tax collector entered the temple in fear and trembling, feeling bad about himself, but he left justified, feeling good about God. 
And he certainly wouldn't continue exploiting the poor because he was now a new creation. The old was gone and the new had begun. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. In this series, we've been saying that God is interested in people. And the people he's most interested in are those who acknowledge their sin and repent. And he will set everything aside just to be there and to do business with that person. God hates self-righteousness, but loves humility. Psalm 149.4, For the Lord takes delight in his people, and he crowns the humble with salvation. James 4.6, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. 1 Peter 5.6, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may lift you up in due time. God loves humility. So how, how in the world do we become humble? Because that's not our default setting. All our life we're trying to improve our self-image. We're trying to achieve our goals and get to our dreams. How do we humble ourselves? God loves humility because it gives him the opportunity to do what he does best. It gives him the opportunity to be merciful, to forgive sins by his amazing grace. Psalm 51, 17 says, A broken and contrite heart God will not despise. So no matter what you have done, no matter who you are, you matter to God. And if your heart is broken and contrite, he will do whatever it takes to be with you, to forgive you, and to raise you up. Isaiah 57, 15. This is what the high and lofty one says. I live in a high and holy place, but also with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit. That's often when we feel the closest to God. Isaiah 66, 2. This is the one I esteem, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. God loves the humble. And that is a big problem for me. <laughs> because if I were to be honest with you, I'm a lot more like the Pharisee than the tax collector. From a moral perspective, I have had a pretty good week. No robbing, no evil doing, no adultery. I didn't fast, but I give a tenth of what I get. So this morning, I feel pretty good about myself. And that's not wrong. Not at all. Unless we push it too far. And that's what Satan always tries to do. He pushes something good too far, and we begin to exalt ourselves until we feel superior. And that's what I have to watch out for. Be honest. Don't you kind of feel superior to the people that you drive by on your way to church who aren't going to worship? Don't you sometimes think that I'm better than those people? 
God, thank you that I'm not like those others. Or even like that sinner sitting beside me this morning. Do you ever think that? Give them a little nudge. Yeah. You're better, I think, than they are, right? It's easy to feel superior. Other people's sins are so obvious. We can see them. We've even told them about it over and over again, but they don't change. I tell you that this man went home justified before God, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. So how do we humble ourselves? I've really been trying to get a grasp of that, and I, I've concluded that humility is a habit. And it begins in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, where it says, In humility, consider others better than yourself. Humility is the habit of considering others better than yourself. So everyone here this morning is better than me. And I got to get that into my head. You may not have naturally curly hair, but you're better than me. You are. That's what the Bible says. I think Paul was really onto something here. If I'm serious about humbling myself, then I constantly have to tell myself, you are more important than me. I've been doing that all week when I'm with people. I'm reminding myself, this person is more important than I am. Because that's not natural for me. I'm always thinking I'm a little bit better than they are. But this week, I've, I've been reminding myself that I have to lower myself. I have to decrease so that you can increase. And for me, that is radical. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8, I am, least, I am less than the least of all God's people. He had practiced humility so much for so long that he got to the place where he could honestly say, I am less than the least of all God's people. That is the habit of humility. That's amazing. Remember that the good shepherd will leave the 99 righteous and look for the one who is lost. That's his top priority. Because they are more important than us. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. Isn't this incredible? You get two people coming into the same place at the same time, yet their experiences are exactly the opposite of each other. Approaching God as we do each Sunday morning should make a difference because we cannot leave in the same condition we were in when we entered. That would be a total waste of time. We all need to be renewed, and the greatest change agent is humility. Pride refuses to change. I'm fine the way I am. Don't try to motivate me. Humility makes us teachable transformable. God, what are you trying to do in my life today? I've got so far to go. There's so much I can learn. Humility makes us eligible for God's mercy. And I'll tell you, no matter how long we've been believers, no matter how many years we've been coming to church and serving God, we still need to humble ourselves. In fact, it's probably more important 
as we mature than, late, than before. We still need his mercy. Mercy isn't just for beginners. It's just as necessary for the advanced. That's why the Bible says God's mercies are new every month. Every morning. Every morning he offers mercy because I need his mercy every single day. I need his forgiveness. Not necessarily because I did something terrible, but because of my lousy attitude. Because of these thoughts of superiority that just keep coming back. I need his mercy. I need to humble myself so I can receive his mercy. We need forgiveness every day, which also means that we need to forgive others Every single day. Before the sun goes down. How long has it been since you've done that? Pride refuses to forgive. Pride wants revenge. But humility realizes that forgiveness is the first order of business every day. Our mercy also needs to be new every single morning. We need to learn how to humble ourselves because humility is the most exhilarating experience in life because it says if we humble ourselves, we will be exalted. God will raise us up. This is the kind of levitation that the Bible endorses. We experience the updrafts of God's favor. You are lifted out of bondage, out of guilt, out of defeat, out of hopelessness, and especially out of self-righteousness. God sets our feet on higher ground. That's what the tax collector experienced. And this certainly wasn't the only time he would need to experience that. He would need to experience that every single day for the rest of his life. So in conclusion, let me say, God, thank you that we are not like this Pharisee. Amen? Uh Uh-oh. Oh, no. There it is again. Pride is so cunning. There it is. Oh Lord, help us to humble ourselves like this tax collector. Help us to realize that other people are more important than us. Let us consider others better than ourselves so that we can truly experience the full extent of your mercy. And especially this morning, Lord, as we prepare to gather around the Lord's table where we are reminded that our own righteousness is totally inadequate. We need a righteousness far beyond that. And we have received that through Jesus Christ, through his death and resurrection. So we come in that spirit to this table now as a family of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.